0: Welcome to this month's episode of the Cordell and Cordell Men's Divorce Podcast, a combination of views, news, and tips relating to topics and situations relevant to guys going through divorce. In this edition, we will be focusing on the continuing efforts to increase the prevalence of shared parenting, as well as some tips on how to obtain the best custody arrangement and how to enforce visitation when your ex denies your court-ordered parenting time. To start us off, experienced Cordell and Cordell family law attorney Cassandra PNL of Austin, Texas, will give some tips to fathers going through divorce on how to achieve a fair custody arrangement, something that could be challenging for even highly involved fathers due to the current state of family courts across the country.
1: The first tip that I give to fathers who are seeking a fair custody agreement in a divorce or in a modification case is not to panic. I understand that the legal process is a scary one, oftentimes unfamiliar. But when fathers panic, they sometimes make poor decisions. Perhaps out of fear, a father would agree to a custody agreement that is something less than he would be entitled to under that state's code. Perhaps he's heard rumors that he's not going to have any time with his children. So he hastily accepts something that's less than what he could have done by getting good advice from an attorney. Or maybe he says or does something out of hurt or anger that will make him look less than a stellar parent in the eyes of the court. Maybe he even gets afraid and sends a threatening text or something that could be construed as threatening. These actions may skew the way that the court views him. Therefore, I recommend speaking to an attorney, getting the facts on your case. This will help alleviate those initial feelings of panic. You can also develop a strategy with your attorney on how to get the most fair, equitable custody arrangement for your children that's in their best interest and affords you the most time with them.
0: Next up, National Parents Organization founder and chairman Dr. Ned Holstein spoke with DazDivorce.com editor Sean Garrison about the NPO 2014 Shared Parenting Report Card, a comprehensive ranking of states based on their child custody statutes. Dr. Holstein also gives his opinion on how states need to improve their laws regarding shared parenting to do what is in the best interest of the children.
2: To start with, this is the first national study to provide a comprehensive ranking of each state based on its child custody laws. In your opinion, why hasn't there been more attention given to this topic when researchers are in agreement that shared parenting following separation or divorce can help children thrive?
3: I think two reasons. Uh, first is that there is definitely special interest group opposition to shared parenting in the family courts, even though we now know pretty clearly that it's better for kids. And uh, and then you combine that with the habitual uh, kind of prudence of researchers. They want to make sure they've got perfect science before they go out on a controversial limb. So they're not always so quick to uh, to broadcast conclusions that are pretty good, They want to wait till they're perfect, and that can take many years. So I think, uh, on the one hand, the opposition from special interest groups, and on the other hand, that the scientists uh, have a different mindset, and their mindset is they want to be really sure before they put something out into the public sphere that is controversial. Although I have to say, I put the word controversial in quotes, because every single poll and survey that's ever been done of uh, Americans shows that by overwhelming majorities, they believe that shared parenting is the best outcome for children and should be the usual outcome when both parents are fit and there's been no domestic violence.
2: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. In the first eight months of 2014, there were three separate child research organizations that provided studies based on shared parenting. That's in addition to your study. Why, do you, in your opinion, do you feel there's been this sudden uptick in interest in shared parenting and child custody laws?
3: Well, National Parents Organization has been flogging, <laughs> flogging this issue, and, uh, and others have too, uh, because, look, we've got kids who are suffering from drugs and school dropout and alcohol and gangs and teenage pregnancy uh, and a whole raft of problems that has uh, shown themselves to be impervious to all of the... Uh, sort of great society programs that started over 50 years ago with President Lyndon Johnson. And so uh, these programs have tried every imaginable approach, and yet we're still having these problems. If anything, they're worse instead of better. So new approaches are needed. Um, And one new approach is this compelling research that children can be helped in all of these spheres. And guess what? It's free. So so let's do it. Uh, 35% of kids are In America, growing up in single-parent households, those uh, parents are often courageous, hardworking. They're doing their very best. They're good people. But despite all of those heroic efforts, all the data shows that these are the kids that get in trouble. These are the kids who drop out of school. These are the kids who end up in jail.
2: Yeah, definitely. Across the board, states scored very poorly on this report with a cumulative GPA of just one63 Did you notice any common pitfalls that states that scored poorly tended to fall into? And on the other hand, did you see any similarities between the states that scored well?
3: Well, I would just say, in general, the problem is inertia. They were taught years ago that having uh, one custodial parent was the best thing for children. Uh, Look, as recently as 1979, the daughter of Sigmund Freud, the famous uh, founder of, of psychoanalysis, his daughter, here in the United States, published a book, and in that book, this is a, pretty much a verbatim quote, she says that the non-custodial parent should have no legally enforceable right to visit the child. That's a pretty pretty near exact quote. In other words, there should be one decision maker, one set of rules, one place for the child to lay down his or her books, uh, one, uh, one parent, basically. And that's what the psychoanalyst taught, so if judges were looking for experts in 1979, that's what they would have heard. So the the, pers- the the young lawyer in law school in 1979 is a judge 20 years later in 1999, writing decisions that have precedential value. And now a judge in 2014, making a decision on what they think is best for, for children, uh, is referencing a judicial decision that was made in 1999. So the t- teachings that long ago are still ruling the courts, because uh, the law by design is uh, meant to rely on precedent, and that makes it an institution that's slow to change. So there's, there's been failure to pay attention uh, to the research, and let's be honest with ourselves, going to law school does not make you a reader of child development research. You study bankruptcy, you study torts, you study evidence, you, fu- you study the Constitution, you don't study what's best for kids.
2: Yeah, definitely. Now moving forward, what do you think states need to do in order to address this issue and start improving the manner in which they promote shared parenting?
3: Well, I think organizations like ours, National Parents Organization, has to keep up the pressure. If you let up, you lose. There are special interests who oppose uh, these changes uh, that don't have the best interests of children in mind. We have to overcome those, and I think that um, judicial discretion to some degree is always going to be necessary. So, uh, what, what do you then do um, if you don't, if you can't make the law uh, mandate shared parenting, and you probably shouldn't, because judicial discretion is is necessary because human life is so varied? Uh, what do you do instead? And I think what you do instead is you have to educate the judges. Here's what the research is now showing. Here, we now know what is best for children. We This is developing knowledge. It didn't jump out of nowhere. This research has been going on for 40 years, and now the results are absolutely clear-cut. And we have to get governors to appoint judges who have a record of being friendly to shared parenting. Uh, and where judges are elected, um, the judges who are put forward by uh, the respective parties should be vetted. Should be screened to see that they are uh, that they have a history of being in favor of shared parenting.
0: Many recent studies have determined that it is far more beneficial for children's well-being to have a meaningful relationship with both parents, which is not realistically feasible under current custody standards. Arizona State Associate Professor William Fabricius joined DadsDivorce.com editor Sean Garrison to discuss his research into the benefits of shared parenting for children.
2: It's been 15 years since your study was published and the topic of shared parenting has continued to gain steam in the media. Can you take a look back now all these years later on what you see as the most important findings from your research?
4: The most significant finding was that the current generation of college students believe that shared equal parenting time is best for children of divorce. That's true of the college students who lived in intact families, and it is also true of those who came from divorced families. And it is especially true of those who actually lived in shared parenting arrangements growing up. Since then, we found that that um, pretty near universal attitude in favor of shared uh, equal parenting time among today's college students is also reflected in the general public. Most recently, within the last few years, we um, polled a representative sample of citizens from Tucson, Arizona, who were members of a jury pool, randomly selected to be representative of the the, uh, city's population. And we asked them the same kinds of questions about shared parenting uh, in a very detailed way with lots of examples um, and lots of uh, ways of measuring their attitudes about it. The bottom line is that they, just like the college students in 2000, they were basically universally in favor of shared equal parenting time. Didn't depend on their political views. Didn't depend on their gender, didn't depend on their economic situation and didn't depend on whether they had been divorced themselves or not. The, the findings uh, that public opinion um, in Arizona was, um, was, uh, large, was strongly in favor of shared parenting has been replicated in other large surveys, including the ballot question in Massachusetts. Uh, national polls in Canada. Um, And those are the ones that come to mind right now.
2: Sure. And on that same note, over the last 15 years, how has the research done since, either by you or by others, built on your findings? Have there been other significant developments related to that topic?
4: What we've done is follow that up by looking for the effects or the consequences of shared parenting. And what we find essentially is that the more parenting time the father has up to and including equal parenting time, the stronger and better and closer the father-child relationship is when the child is 18 to 20 years of age. So it predicts a long-term positive association with the father-child relationship, we find no harm to the mother-child relationship as parenting time increases from 0 to 50 percent with dad. So at the upper ends of shared parenting time, the child, when they become a young adult, has equally strong relationships with both parents. Those who had less parenting time with father have progressively worse long term relationships with him. Secondly, we find that the parent-child relationship is an extremely strong predictor of long term not only mental health but also stress-related physical health. These findings come are these findings come from the health literature. Uh, they're long term, very solid findings that Show that stress and um, stress and distance, psychological distance, um, um, you know, not not emotionally warm, close parent-child relationships, predict um, higher levels of stress, which harm both the developing, um, which harm both the developing brain in the child. Harm the child's uh, developing social abilities and uh, end up um, harming the child in terms of mental health problems and long term stress related physical health problems that relate in uh, lost time from work, serious physical diseases, and even in the worst cases, early mortality. So we see a really strong connected picture between parenting time when the child is young, long term quality of the parent-child relationships when they hit young adulthood and that then predicting um, really serious long-term consequences so everything we've looked at shows that um, there's benefits associated with shared parenting
2: absolutely and is there anything else you're currently working on that you'd like to tell us about
4: yeah we're, we're working on data from um, not data from data that's not from college students, but data from community families. That's part of a 10-year longitudinal study we have that is funded by the National Institute of Health, where we're looking at families in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and Riverside, California, uh, starting when the child is in seventh grade, following up until they're in their early 20s. And we're looking at the same kinds of issues about what effects does father involvement have uh, on the ad- young adolescent all the way up through young adulthood, on their mental health, their stress related physical health. And some of our families are some of our families are divorced. So we can look at the subset of kids from those divorced families in terms of parenting time effect for them. And effects of relocation on them. And that's, um, that's currently what we're working on right now. And so far, our preliminary results with these uh, community samples um, are, are um, supporting and, and reproducing the same kinds of things we found with the college students.
0: Not only do fathers often face a disadvantage when it comes to obtaining a fair custody arrangement to begin with, some also run into the problem of having an ex who will not abide by the orders issued from the court. Again, Cordell & Cordell attorney Cassandra PNL gives some tips on how to enforce visitation when you are denied court-ordered parenting time.
1: After a divorce case is over, I often have fathers ask me, What do I do if my ex-spouse violates one of the provisions in my decree on visitation? Or more specifically, what do I do if she refuses to turn over the kids when she's supposed to? And I would say that step one is to make sure that you have very specific terms in your decree on possession. Make sure that there's a time and there's a place designated for pickup of the children. If there's not these provisions, then go back and fix it. Make sure they're added then you need to make sure that you're consistent in picking up your children at the time, place, and on the date that you're supposed to pick them up. Just because your ex-spouse says she's not going to turn over the children or threatens that she won't do it, you still need to be at that location to pick them up. If the children aren't there and you are entitled to possession and you have those terms spelled out in your decree or order, Call someone for assistance, like a police officer. And then you need to document each instance. Keep accurate records. Make sure that you note the time, date, location of the denials. Make sure you get any copies of police records or notes from that officer on what transpired. Keep accurate records of each denial and take those to your attorney. Discuss the need for an enforcement of the order or whatever that is called in your jurisdiction. Time lost can be made up, but you want to be vigilant about keeping records and about enforcing that possession.
0: While it has traditionally been an uphill battle for fathers to achieve a fair custody arrangement, some states are making progress. Utah State Representative Lowry Snow joined DadsDivorce.com editor Sean Garrison to discuss a recent shared parenting bill that was passed in his state to improve the amount of time non-custodial parents, who are overwhelmingly fathers, receive following a divorce.
2: Um, To start with, can you walk us through the key points of this bill and what it will hopefully accomplish?
5: The key points, uh, really, uh, in my estimation, are, are, are twofold. Uh, one uh, benefits uh, the non-custodial parent, uh, and the other benefit uh, accrues directly to the children involved. Uh, previously, uh, we have in our state a minimum visitation schedule in the event the parties are not able to reach an agreement with respect to visitation in cases where one party has sole custody Um, the court then usually applies what's known as the minimum visitation schedule that's set out in our statute this uh, particular bill provides an alternative uh, parent time schedule that expands uh, and goes beyond the minimum schedule to benefit um, the non-custodial parent giving them some additional time as an alternative the other benefit as I mentioned is uh, I think uh, the studies and the data shows that uh, the more time we can put these children, particularly those in a divorced family, uh, to spend greater time with each parent, um, it ultimately benefits the children. They do better, and, uh, and I think the bill was designed with those two points in mind.
2: Absolutely. And now you mentioned uh, that the bill allows non-custodial parents 145 days each year with their children. Um, The former minimum was 110 days, but I understand that that became kind of a de facto maximum. Uh, Can you explain, I guess, the reasons for that, how that kind of came to be?
5: Sure. I think think when the minimum schedule was initially adopted, and the reason it actually indicates in the in the code that it was minimum was that the courts and I think the lawmakers anticipated that that the parties would work together and on their own expand that but the reality is once that was adopted in the in the decree uh, the custodial parent um, really in many cases uh, utilized that as the maximum and is just unwilling to expand visitation beyond that as a result You had non-custodial parents, primarily a lot of fathers out there, who uh, were held to that uh, strict minimum schedule and and, uh, trying to get the custodial parent to expand visitation beyond that was, in many cases, nearly impossible. And so, while it was intended to be a minimum schedule, uh, the reality was, uh, as it was utilized, it it tended to cap the visitation and, and in many cases, um, to many uh, non-custodials, I don't want to say to their detriment, but to their discouragement.
2: Sure. And uh, this bill also affords non-custodial parents um, overnights with their, their children on both uh, what Wednesdays and Sundays. Can you explain the significance of that and how it's potentially a benefit for, uh, for both parents involved?
5: Sure. Uh, the, with respect to the weekend visits first, uh, if you talk to, uh, and I used to do a lot more uh, family law that I'm currently involved with, but um, when you talk to the non-custodial parent and they talk about uh, those who are deeply involved and committed to their children, um, the Sunday night visit or the the time together uh, leading into Sunday night was always uh, a little bit um, uh, I, I guess, traumatic because while they enjoyed their time together, it, it ended abruptly on Sunday night. The children had to be returned to the custodial home on Sunday. This extends that instead of um, the the, uh, the non-custodial having to end the visit on Sunday night, allows them to keep the children Sunday night uh, and, and put them, uh, deliver them to school the next day. Uh, and it just makes a much better weekend visitation. And likewise, on, on the weeknight visitation, instead of having to have the child after school, have dinner together, and then return the child back that same evening, they're able to, to take their children, have them the rest of the evening, put them to bed, and deliver them to school the next day. And so it's a much, uh, it's, it, it's a much more, uh, I think, suitable and, uh, and, and a better environment for them exercising that current time together in, in those situations. That's what it was designed to do.
2: Absolutely. And now some lawmakers have argued that um, adding another option could lease, lead to uh, increased litigation as parents return to court to, uh, to modify their and amend their divorce decrees. Um, how, how would you respond to that concern?
5: Well, I think as practitioners will know, uh, this alternative schedule is intended to be available both at the outset when the decree is final but it potentially uh, provides an alternative for post-decree uh, uh, dispositions as well. I suppose there there can be some litigation uh, that are spawned as a result uh, when the the custodial parent believing that they should qualify for this and having to pursue that uh, uh, through the courts. Um, but but I think. I think we see a lot of cases that are settled both post-decree and uh, at the outset and I think one of the things that this statute uh, or this revision will provide is an alternative for settlement. And and if, if the custodial parent recognizes at the outset that this alternative may be a viable plan that the court would look at, I think it actually will help promote that. And then as you, I think as most practitioners know, it's not necessarily in in settling these cases, and either A or B, they can also form uh, and develop their own visitation or planned parent time together. And I think the reality is, in my view, this having this on the books will actually help facilitate uh, parties developing their own plan, customizing it to their own needs and the needs of their children.
2: Sure. And is there anything else you'd like to add, Lowry?
5: No, I. Uh, I don't have a great deal to add except that it's been uh, an honor to work with uh, those that have supported this. We've had a lot of great support from uh, from uh, parents, from uh, non-custodial parents. The Utah State Bar Family Law Section actually were the architects of this, and this is something they've been working on for many years to see accomplished, and I think we need to give credit to them and practitioners who who work with uh, these uh, family laws every day and try to alleviate uh, issues and tensions between parents and children.
0: That's all we have time for in this month's Cordell & Cordell Men's Divorce Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for interviews, news, tips, and more covering a range of topics facing men during divorce. You can also find a number of resources on our website at cordellcordell.com as well as our informational sites, mensdivorce.com and dadsdivorce.com.